the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. And sooner or later the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. The words of General George Washington, and this is the Guardians of the Republic podcast. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On our inaugural episode of the podcast, we will talk about factions within the Democratic Party and remember H. Ross Perot, who passed away this week. Our hot take segment will look at who should get in or get out of the Democratic race for president, and we end with our Guardian of the Week. But first, we were inspired to start this week's episode with that quote from our first president because of a tweet from the current one. And I'll read in part what Donald Trump recently tweeted out. When I ultimately leave office in six years, or maybe 10 or 14, just kidding, he adds parenthetically, the news media will quickly go out of business for lack of credibility. Then he goes on to diss some of the Democratic candidates for president. And then he asks, could you imagine having one of them as your president rather than what you have now? So great looking and smart, a true stable genius. You know... We could joke about this, but it's just not funny anymore. No, it's it's where we're going, and it's why we started this podcast, Guardians of the Republic, because our norms are being changed on a daily basis, and the Constitution is about to fly out the window of a car speeding along the highway at 75 miles an hour, never to be picked up again. Yeah, and I think this is really what's, what's fa- fascinating about the, the quote that we read is that it almost sounds like it's written for Donald Trump, that these factions, and we've been talking about these factions and how they have developed over the past uh, 25 years, have led to, naturally led to, and this is what he said, they will naturally lead to the chief of some prevailing faction being able to turn the entire arm of government to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. The, the 10 years and the 14 years, very dangerous. He's done that before. He's called himself great looking and smart and a true stable genius. But what he's doing is he's just, he's just trying to anger people. And by angering people, it's like he gets the, uh, the dopamine up in his followers. So, I mean, I think that that's, it, it's very clear. And once you sort of really lock into that, that is how he's, he's moving things forward. It sort of becomes a little less, it becomes just a, it's just a tactic. He's just using a tactic here to call himself so great looking and smart, a true stable genius exclamation mark. He knows what people are going to do. People will have outrage from the left. Uh, understandably, because how can anybody talk like this, let alone the leader of our country and the leader of the free world? But it, but it, he almost doesn't mean it. I mean, he's just, he's just, in my opinion, he's just fluffing people up. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting now he's taking on social media because um, now he's ticked off at social media. And uh, he, there's another tweet that he put out uh, that said, would I have won without social media? Yes, I would have. Um, and no, probably not. Um, because social media is what fed the true fake news, which was the fake news about him and about Clinton and the things that were made up uh, that helped to keep that dopamine going in his followers. 
Yeah, and which is very powerful. He is the he is the genius. He is Superman. He is Captain America, who is fighting for them and for the country. And he's their folk hero, as we talk about. You know, I mean, and it's uh, it, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why we pulled General Washington out in this yeah. moment is yeah. the, this this stark dichotomy between our very first president and our now president. Yeah, but the, but the prescience that George Washington had. Mm-hmm. When he looked at the landscape and realized, and, th- and this goes back to, I, I keep quoting Ben Franklin, you know, my favorite quote, which is a republic if you can keep it. Uh, and that's what Washington was talking about. And that's what's happened all along with our republic as it's gotten to breaking points. People within the faction in power stepped in and said, this is not acceptable. This mm-hmm. cannot uh, persist. And we're just not seeing that with Donald Trump's faction right now. Uh, that's, that becomes really problematic. And then now we're seeing, I think, on the other side, on the Democratic side, right? Uh, so, you know, we have these fights over Medicare for all, uh, Green New Deal. The new one now is immigration, where there's these purity tests where you have to belong to this faction in order to, um, in order to, to be a true whatever you want to call yourselves. A true member of the party. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, a good person, a decent person, a moral person. And I, I think the problem is, is that they're, they're taking their cue from looking at Trump, right? Well, if Trump's doing this, if this is what's going on on the other side, then we'll fight fire with fire. And that's exactly what Washington was worried about. Yeah, the problem is that everyone's going to, the whole place is going to go up in flames if you keep fighting fire with fire. Um, and and that's where we're sort of on the verge of. And, and in the Democratic Party, though, Pelosi seems to be uh, trying to put the flames out. And I think AOC is trying to put the flames out as well after their recent dust up this past week where, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi did the interview with Maureen Dowd. And it was uh, it was it was quite compelling. And, and it had some knives attached to it, didn't you think? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, let's look at Nancy Pelosi as, as the speaker and, and particularly as an issue of immigration where the left was really upset with that border funding bill. Yeah. Right. Um, because it did not have enough protections for uh, children detained at the borders. But Nancy Pelosi said, look, at the end of the day, you're everybody's fighting for purity on this. And this is the only bill that we get passed with what's going on in the Senate that's side. That's the way the Constitution is written yeah. to find this level of compromise. What I, what I think was interesting with what Pelosi d- did uh, here and, and that that re- that article that you referenced by Maureen Dowd is where she says, you know, uh, AOC, uh, Tlaib, Presley. I mean, he's, there are four votes. That block is 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 four people, and they only come up with four votes. They're not bigger than themselves. Uh, and uh, you seem to feel that 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 AOC has gotten the message on that. I'm not uh, to talk a little bit about more. I'm not I'm not sure that the message has been heard yet, but maybe. Well, I mean, she's at least not her her chief of staff. Certainly, threw some uh, you know gasoline on the fire, but it, it could turn into an all out brawl in the Democratic Party, and it hasn't yet. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen at some point, but it has not, as of yet, sort of exploded and exploded the party. Uh, that may be coming, but it seems like there was one quote I read where AOC was talking about she's the Speaker of the House and she's doing her what she thinks is right and doing her job. I thought that that was somewhat respectful. Uh, And I think she needs to maintain that. But the reason why the Democrats are in the majority in the House is because of the moderates. And Nancy, well, here's here's a good example of Nancy Pelosi at putting governing first. All right. So she is working in tandem with the chair of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. That's uh, Mm -hmm. Frank Pallone, person who I happen to know. He's he's a neighbor of mine here in New Jersey. But she did not want him in that position. 
She wanted her own ally in that position. And there was a huge fight. And Pallone was able to go to the Congressional Black Caucus, get their support because of his seniority, and get them to stand up against Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi understood that that was just a single political battle. She lost that battle, but there was a bigger fight to go on. And now she and Pelosi are strong allies. She and Pallone are strong allies in trying to maintain the majority that they have in the House by understanding that we've got to govern. Okay. Well, we we're seeing that the Democratic Party is uh, is is somewhat splitting at the seams, but seeming to hold it together. And hopefully, there'll be a stitch in time to save nine, because otherwise, the whole thing will fall apart. And we're seeing our president sort of pulling the levers of of his dopamine power on the right, and yeah. and it works. So we'll. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the lesson to the left is you don't want to replicate what's happening. And, and you can't, on the, on the you right. can't replicate what's happening yeah. on the right because Donald Trump is a unique animal. Uh, he's a unique political animal. He's a unique human animal. There's, there's really nobody who's been like him in, in, in politics ever who has this amount of reach. And he's talking about um, social media. It, that's part of the part of his power is that he gets to go out there and sort of speak what he wants and say how he feels. And no, there's no one there to stop him. So I don't know that the Democrats would ever find the same value on their side. It wouldn't work is the point. Like, it's not going to work that way. That maybe the Democrats should be the party of bringing the republic back together. And if that's their message, there could be some value there for those in the center. Yep. I think uh, we'll just have to keep looking at this. And more Trump tweets, the more we'll we'll probably be bringing back uh, the spirit of George Washington here. (laughs) <laughs> Sounds good. And now, before we move on to the next segment, um, you have some personal memories of Ross Perot, who passed away this week. Uh, yes, it's not that I know him personally, but I was there uh, on October 25th, 1992, when he launched his final campaign swing. Uh, those who remember Ross Perot's uh, campaign that he had been doing really well, he had actually led in the polls in the summer of 1992, and then he just suddenly dropped out. And uh, nobody was sure why. And then in October, he comes back in and announces that there was some issue with his daughter's wedding that uh, that was going to be disrupted by by folks who were supporting uh, the president, George H.W. Uh, Bush at the time. But there was something in what he said that really sparked, uh, I think, some folks' imagination. Uh, you know, a lot of people say that he was the first Trump, right, so that, that he was the precursor. To Donald Trump. And I'm not exactly sure that that's true. So I, I said, you know, I was at the Flemington Fairgrounds on October 25th, 1992, went to see Ross Perot uh, announce his his return or, or start his last swing. And I was looking for some clips from that. And unfortunately, nobody recorded that. Uh, so the clips that I have are from later that day when he went out to Pittsburgh. And listen to some of the themes that he talks about, because they are very similar to what Trump talks about but in a much different way. Okay, can we agree that we want high-paying jobs in this country and not around the world? Can we agree that we don't all want to be plucking chickens for a living? Think about it. Can we be a superpower if we don't make steel here? No, you can't. Do you agree with that fellow at the White House? It's an economic advisor to the president that said he didn't care whether we made potato chips or computer chips. 
Do you want your children to be working in the industries of tomorrow or the industries of yesterday? Tomorrow, right. All right, so you're listening to basically what's a make America great again, right? Yeah, I like, well, make make America great in the future. I like the pluck the chicken. Plucking the chicken. Well, <laughs> hey, remember, the chicken. I, I can't remember why he did this, but he, he called George W. Bush potato chip man and Bill Clinton chicken man. So it was Chicken Man and Potato Chip Man. Uh, That's a good lunch. During that campaign. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, but I I just like the way he goes, y'all want to be plucking a chicken for the rest of your life? Uh, That was pretty funny. But there was something, you you, you listen to his tone, there's something positive about that. He He wasn't laying the blame for where the problems were on uh, immigrants. Or you know, on, on on those folks who were trying to scrape by, it, it was the powers that be. He was putting the the um, the fault directly in Washington, right? Yep. And I think that that was a that was a key difference. And and his and his his campaign really was about uh, you know right down the middle. It was about trade. It was about all these things that we're talking about today, right? But it, it stayed on that topic. It didn't veer off into these social issues, which he said he didn't have time for, which is, what, you know, really, in the end, this is how Donald Trump wins, right? Yep. He wins by, you know, he's calling out trade and whatever, but he's blaming immigrants for it. But he also wins by making sure he solidifies the social conservative base of the Republican Party, who's concerned about abortion and appointing of judges and really doesn't care anything else about what he does. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a much different thing than that, what Perot did. Just to go back to 92 for a second, do you think that if, because I remember it was Clinton, it was the Democratic it was the Democratic convention where Clinton gave a really great speech after such a terrible speech in 88, where it was, the, it was really like the day after that where Perot dropped out and he said, he said something to the effect of, with a resurgent Democratic Party, I just don't think that there's right. a space for me there. Do you think, in, from your perspective, had he stayed in through the entire time, could he have gotten enough support to possibly win the presidency? Was it possible, or was it was it was he right to get out? It's hard to say um, because inherent in us is this idea of belonging to some sort of organization. So political parties have have a, such a strong pool. Would he have been able to to maintain that? I, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, but what I do know is that, you know, that came out about at a time when people were upset with political parties. Uh, you know, a lot of people yes, didn't, now. Right, right, did not feel that that um, either the, the incumbent President Bush or uh, the governor of Arkansas, Clinton, were the best nominees that either party could have possibly come up with. And, uh, there, you know, that was, by the way, you know, this is the start of the whole Gingrich era of let's just start undermining faith. You know, faith in the party system was somewhat shaken. And I think that's what Ross Perot showed us. And you've had folks like Gingrich who just then turned and ran with that and said, I'm yeah. going to use that to my own advantage. I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I'm going to feed that, that fire. And in a way, that's what, what the far left is trying to do to the Democrats right now. And whether they're going to be able to sort of get there or not be able to get there is going to tell a lot of the tale because... And- there's not as much there's there's not as much power on the far left it seems to me as there was in 1994 on the far right when the tea party was going i mean this is this is like the espresso party right and there's a there's one other clip i want to play you uh from from perot that i think also underscores his difference with donald trump uh, he brought i remember him doing this when i saw him and he brought his wife up on stage with him did you see the tv show about margo and the children 
Do you think she would make a great first lady? Yeah. Do you think that those five great children that she raised would be good role models for your little ones to look up to? Well, that's the good news. The bad news is to get them, you're stuck with me. <laughs> right. Would, could you ever imagine hearing Trump say that about oh, himself? That's good. Right? No. Right. No. So, the, I mean, there, you, that's funny. there is an identity. And, and by the way, you know, would, uh, would Trump have been able to say the same thing with a straight face about his children being good role models? For, no, uh, you know? no. I'm afraid not. No, no. Yeah, we, we no. And one last thing on Trump and 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 Perot and uh, I recently heard a podcast where Aaron Sorkin, who was the writer of West Wing and To Kill a Mockingbird, one of the greatest uh, writers in the industry for sure. Um, and he was talking about Trump being a folk hero to so many people, and that's why they're they're not going to lose him because they feel like this. We've talked about this before, yeah. but they feel like he's somebody who's actually out there fighting the good fight for the people like them, which is remarkable because he's anything but them. But um, they they see him as like a Captain America figure. So no matter what is said about him, they're going to find their way to uh, to supporting him and and believing in him. Yeah, twenty seven years ago, Perot could have been that folk hero. Yeah, this he is, dropped this is out. How, uh, our, our search for folk heroes have has become so desperate that okay, this is where we are today, right? So yeah, and now we're going to move on to our hot takes segment. Um, but before we do that, do you have any new polling out this week? No, no new polling out this week. But I just wanted to bring up something that I think is important to remember as we're looking ahead to 2020. And, and that's uh, Donald Trump's trends. Um, and in fact, uh, we did a poll at Monmouth University where we asked, I think it was 10 different questions that we've been asking since uh, Trump had became president because we wanted to track the trends on those. And basically nothing moves. This is what I, I, I get mm -hmm. into with you, you a lot about how you know, pretty much everybody's decided there's no new information that could come about about Donald Trump that would really move the needle. Uh, so, you know, whether th he uh, should be impeached, whether he should be reelected, those things aren't moving. The things that are important are, has he given enough attention to issues that are important to your family? That's at 41 uh, percent. That's been hovering around there ever since he became president. Uh, you know, he promised to drain the swamp. Is he making progress draining the swamp? 23 percent say he is. That's been hovering around that number ever since. The only thing that I do see that I think is somewhat interesting uh, and, and you need to pay attention to is the Real Clear Politics average has his job approval creeping up. Now, it doesn't move a lot, but it creeps up to 45%. That's high. Right? And that's, that's in re-election territory. Yeah, it is because it's not forty. That's forty five percent for the whole country because right. that means that in Ohio and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Include, those numbers yeah. are are going to go higher. Yeah, yeah. And so that is something to pay attention to because everybody keeps talking about the uh, historically how no other president has had upside down approval ratings like Donald Trump has, but forty five percent approval rating is enough to win reelection. Yeah, it is enough to win re-election. I wonder if it was thirteen twenty-five that pushed people over the top with them. I'm not kidding. No, it's, 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 it's like little things. Uh, you know, the economy is still doing okay, although we're getting some indications that it might be hitting a downturn. We know it's going to hit a downturn at some point, but whether mm -hmm. it's in the next three months or next 12 months or next 15 months is the question. Uh, but at this point, 
it looks like, you know, he's, he's actually holding for the past few weeks his highest approval rating since he took office. Uh, so you keep that in mind because you can win with that. Yeah, he can win for that. All right, now now I'm gonna, we'll move on to our hot take segment where we're going to take 90 seconds to d- discuss a bunch of different topics. And when you hear this sound, it's time for us to wrap it up. So first up on hot takes is Eric Swalwell. He dropped out of the race this week. What did he contribute, and should anyone join him? Patrick? Um, I'm not really sure what he contributed. He, uh, he contributed bad. <laughs> he, he was badly contributed, as, a, as well, I said I think last week i will think I, I i keep thinking of the long shots that we had from that debate where you could see him mm-hmm. from the side yep and when the question didn't go to him he was still jumping in and trying to answer the question he was terrible and not being heard and no. i think that's what he demonstrated was don't get into this race if it's already overcrowded and there's not a spot for you and so what you know should anyone else join him there's th- Two on my list that are definite yeses. I'm going to start with Marianne Williamson, and here's why. Um, My mom was talking to me about her message of uh, love and approval, um, which she talked about um, during the during the debate. And what what I noticed was this, like, if you're going to have this message of love over hate, or love over fear, that's an interesting message. Cory Booker sort of tries to bring that message out. But if you're going to do that, you damn well better be more compelling on that stage to get that message across than what Marianne Williamson was. She's very good in her field, self-help field, writing her books sounds great. However, when it, when it comes to this, you better be a unique human being. Her time came, her time has passed, it's time for her to go. Uh, yeah, um, I think so too. And I, th- I, th- I would put Tim Ryan in yes, that. Yes, out. That. Bye. Yeah. Could not from a from a from a communication standpoint. I rewatched some of his debate the other day. He got so flustered on that stage. Look, I know it's a big stage. It's it's a big moment in life. But if you're not ready to hit that stage and perform at your highest level, you got to go. I also say Gabbard should go, but you disagree. Yeah, but we'll leave it. Uh, I'll, okay. I'll let you have that one. Fair enough. I'll take it. Okay. Next, we have Tom Steyer, the billionaire former hedge fund manager, has just joined the race. Patrick, do you think that this is worth 90 seconds? Uh, so I'll let you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he can spend a lot of money. Uh, and he's been spending the money. He's been spending the money on promoting impeachment, pushing impeachment of, of Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that's an indication while, okay, you believe that and that's important, is you're a billionaire. You're a billionaire who's promised to give away half your wealth during your lifetime Uh is and and by the way, you're you're calling out all the people that you've made money on when you're doing this as a hedge fund manager, but sp- spend that money on trying to improve uh, the conditions at the uh, at the, at the border. And the yeah, or spend that money and spend that money in supporting candidates all across the country to help the right. Democrats win state legislators back because if they can win those back, then they can set the uh the gerrymand they they are the ones doing the gerrymandering if you want to help the democratic party there's a better way to do it and my problem with steyer is he had the public's imagination and interest i would say there was about five weeks last year yeah yeah maybe it was two years ago it was about december yeah it was but it wasn't a it it was a while it was a while back and and he was you know he was out there and he was spending money but the problem was he was not compelling enough again like marianne williamson not compelling enough of a figure to sort of get people to get behind him. And that's what these, Donald Trump was successful, so successful, because he was charismatic enough to get people to join him on his right. mission. Right. This guy the, didn't have nobody. The question now, with Tom Sire is that he has a lot of things that he's very concerned about, but there's not an argument for why he should be president in order to help advocate for those concerns. Agreed. 
All right. After talking about Rose Perot, how about we throw uh, Mike Bloomberg back into yes. the mix? Does he have yes. a role in 2020? Not yet, but he might. Um, if if Joe, I'm the one who threw, I had to throw Mike Bloomberg in there. Well, no, I the actually, reason, I've, I've heard this from other Democrats now. Well, listen, um, I was talking, I w- was calling you on the phone nine months ago saying, hey, I'm going to take a sabbatical from acting because I want to go help Mike Bloomberg become the next president of the United States. And then Mike Bloomberg decided that he was, and Gary Kasparov was very funny. I would talk to him about it. He goes, no, he's not going to do it. He's chicken. Because um, <laughs> Kasparov is 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 tough, tough guy. And he's great. I love him. But he was, but the thing about Bloomberg is if Biden drops out of the race, which is not in the foreseeable moment right now, but if he were to, that lane is going to be filled by Klobuchar. It's going to be filled by other people, but Bloomberg could come in at any point in this race with his money, with his financial, personal financial wealth, and he could find his way to being the the Democratic nominee. And I think he would. I think he would beat Donald Trump in in a presidential election. I think his role at this point is supporting role uh, to support uh, other candidates uh, to help, uh, particularly those blue dog Democrats who have made the majority in the House, mm-hmm. uh, to support them and make sure they can get reelected in 2020 because you know it'll be a big year but uh he's just such a leading man he's such a ceo like somebody mentioned that he might be kamala's vice president maybe it was you on the phone yeah well this is i actually heard some kamala people talking about him as as somebody who they you know he doesn't take second seat to anybody i mean and, and nor should he honestly i mean he's he's very special um but but he may be too far to the right to really succeed in in this. So, um, and and I can understand that he 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 has a little authoritarian dictatorship in his own world as well. Okay, so now let's just talk about New Hampshire. You're heading up there this weekend um, to speak with voters. Should it be the first in the nation primary? Yeah, this this is a big debate that happens all the time, right? It's a very small state. It's almost entirely white. Uh, should it be the first in the nation with uh, with Iowa, of course, uh, to decide who the nominees are, or at least to whittle down the field? And I went up there four years ago, and as I'm going up there again, and what I found about these voters that's really interesting is that while they don't demographically represent uh, the country and all the different concerns of, of the country, particularly in the Democratic Party, is that they take their role as vetters of of the candidates extremely seriously. And I remember going up there and seeing people who, you know, last time it was really the Republican primary that that had a lot of candidates, and seeing the same people at different events for different candidates and then telling me, I really am not decided yet, and I really want to hear from these candidates. But more importantly, it was the questions that they ask in these town hall situations, which, mm-hmm. you know, anybody can walk into and, and meet with all these candidates. Their questions were pointed, were about, uh, you know, dinner table issues. I mean, there, there are social issues that come up as well, but, uh, you know, they're not about the, the stuff that you keep hearing the press focus on about these debates that we were talking before that, that are going on in the Democratic Party, for example. These are the questions that real voters have, and it's up to these candidates to answer them the best they can in a way that makes them credible. And so folks who survive New Hampshire and go on to Nevada, to South, South Carolina, Carolina, South Carolina, right, and that's where deserve I mean, to be there, deserve yeah, to be right. in that. So I think, they, right. I think they do a good, good job of, of winnowing down the field. 
And it's not very diverse, but we do have South Carolina coming up right behind, which is tremendously diverse. And if somebody has great polling numbers in South Carolina, even if they can't score in in New Hampshire, they're going to stay in the race long enough to to make their play in South Carolina. So, but what, yeah, what I think that New Hampshire does is basically say to Nevada, Nevada and South Carolina is that here we've winnowed the field down to those that now that that deserve to go out into this this broader public and 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 make their case. Yeah. Okay. So we, we went a little long on that last one, which is fun. I like I like yeah. it. It's fun. Okay. We're moving on. Yeah. So finally, we're going to end this episode with our guardian of the week. And this is someone who has looked beyond their short-term political interests to uphold the values of the Republic. And uh, do we think anyone fits that description right now? Well, I mean, someone who's looked beyond their short-term political interests to uphold the values of the Republic. In some ways, this is what our show is really about. Who is going to be a guardian of our Republic as it's teetering on the edge? So I will nominate this week the congressman from Michigan's 3rd District, Justin Amash, for that honor. Yeah, I mean, so I think by now most people have heard that on the 4th of July, he uh, said he was leaving the Republican Party, becoming an independent, Yep. Uh, that he had been a member of the Freedom Caucus, uh, but uh, he had also called and was the only Republican who's been calling for the president's impeachment. And, you know, because he was saying that, you know, there are there are things that are bigger than our, than our party politics. Interests. Right. That's correct. He's he's the only one from the from the Republican Party who has been willing to stand up and say that Russia's uh, interference in our election and the executive branch's uh, contribution to that during the campaign, during the transition, and even while they're in office is unacceptable for the nation. And that's why, I mean, there's no question that he sh- deserves to have the guardian of the we- guardian of the Republic of the Week. I mean, he he has been Im- immensely brave, surprisingly a stronger communicator than I was expecting. His town hall, uh, I guess, about six weeks ago, where he was willing to take all questions from the left, from the right, fight back against people, but with respect. I thought he handled himself quite well, and I think that there is a place for him. And it becomes a question of who he, who he hurts more, but to be a third party candidate. Um, and do some damage, certainly in the state of Michigan. But the only the only fear then becomes if he does do that, does that give the never Trumpers a place to go where they they they're not going to vote for Donald Trump? Now, of course, if it's Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they're not going to join the Democratic caucus no matter what. They're not going to they're not going to vote for right. a Democrat if it's one of those two. But let's say it's someone a little bit more center of the road, uh, and Kamala Harris. I'm gonna I'm gonna say center of the road, or Joe Biden, of course. You know, would then Amash would would Amash then be causing problems for the Democrats? It's it's a it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's, I, I find it hard to see him uh, endorsing a Democrat for president. Uh, he's he, you know he's he's got a strong libertarian streak. Yeah, I think what's happened with him is recognition of how little power the libertarians have within the Republican Party. Uh, I think that's part of it. Uh, so that uh, you know you know the things that that he considers important and that uh, was given lip service as part of the reason why he's left the Republican Party. Well, they also told him to get the hell out. I mean, right. they, yeah, I mean they, yeah. they, they said there's no place for you here. Right. And but uh, but look, he took a stand. Uh, he jeopardized his ability to win re-election. For sure. Uh, in, in the third district, uh, because he won't be on the Republican line there. Uh, and and for that, I think 
uh, yeah, I think he deserves the honor for the week as the yeah, guardian I mean, of the republic. These these people, these people from the right, the Bob Corkers of the world, the Jeff Flakes of the world, who the, the Mark Sanfords of the world, who stand up and speak out against Donald Trump, it is a death sentence for their political career at this point. However, when hist- when the history books are written, they will be who we look back to as heroes. Now, Jeff. Well, Flake, no, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to differ because they're all stepping down from their political well, career stepping, when, when, but, when they started talking up. But wait a minute, they right. step they're stepping down because they spoke out, and once they spoke out, Trump poisoned the well for them to get reelection. I think that that that's a little bit more the truth than the other way around. No. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that, that, that I buy that that was... I, you don't I think, think Bob I Corker, think just, no, Bob I think Corker that, didn't want to stay as the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee? I think for, he would have liked to stay, but I think what we saw with a lot of folks who left Congress this this year, is that they, uh, this past year, is that they were just fed up with Congress and how Congress didn't work. And I think that freed them up. To say, hey, I'm going to start calling these out, but you know, mm, in the chicken end, chicken or the egg here, buddy. Yeah, yeah, but, but look, look, Jeff. Let's take Jeff Flake, right? Uh, so he starts speaking up against Donald Trump, but when push comes to shove, he votes with Donald Trump up until the last day he's in the Senate, right? Yeah, so, he did. Uh, that, did. That, that to me is not a guardian of the Republic. That's just uh, you know, talking head. Um, so, and I think, well, I think Amash, a bit- I think the difference here is Amash has truly put his money where his mouth is. I think Bob Corker also put his money where his mouth was. I think that Bob Corker calling out Trump all through the process of going for Secretary of State and then him saying that it's a it's a nursery school over there at the White House and saying this is wrong, what's happening here is wrong, and then Trump coming over and calling him little yeah. Bob Corker and sort of ending his political career. Bob Corker, in my estimation, was not retiring from the Senate until it became absolutely clear that yeah, he was I wouldn't, not I wouldn't going put to Corker. Win. I would not put Corker and Flake in the same sentence. No, neither would I. Well, so I, I well, think you do a disservice to Corker. Uh, <laughs> let's put him in, how about we put him in the same paragraph? I, I'm not giving Flake as much credit, but Flake also spoke out. Flake also spoke out more than most. I'm not giving Flake any credit on that. All right, fair enough. You're entitled. All right, well, that is the, that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. Make sure to subscribe to our feed to get the latest episodes, and please give us a rating in whatever app you listen to for this podcast so other people can find us. Uh, you can find us at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at guardiansotr. And look in your feed for a new edition next week. And thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week. See ya.